So we are continuing today our summer series called For Those with Eyes to See, Rediscovering the Kingdom of God. We know that the kingdom of God was one of Jesus' favorite things to talk about. Whether he was on the road, by the lakeshore, whether he was at a wedding or at someone's home having dinner, whether he was with the Pharisees, disciples, or just with the crowd at large, he always worked the conversation around to the kingdom of God is like. It was his, his passion, one would say his obsession, to teach people about the kingdom of God. You get the sense that every once in a while, Peter just wanted to, to nudge him and say, come on, Jesus, give it a rest. Is there something else we can talk about? If this was so important to Jesus, it seems like it should be important to us as well. And so we're spending this entire summer learning about, rediscovering, having our eyes opened to what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God. Now, we spent a couple weeks setting the background. We've looked at the Old Testament and laid a foundation for when Jesus used the phrase kingdom of God, what would that mean to the people that were in the audience listening to him? And now we've moved into what Jesus himself actually had to say about the kingdom of God. And we're going to read two uh, pericopes today that were meant to be read together. These are placed in the Gospels right next to each other so that we can compare and contrast the various responses to Jesus and his teaching on the kingdom of God. So I invite you to read along or listen with me. I'm reading from the Gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, uh, starting with the 13th verse. Let us listen for God's word to us. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them and blessed them. Now, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not, shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, at this the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, 
how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the blessing that always comes to us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May it find its home in our hearts this day. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. So today we want to talk about membership, who's in and who's out. Specifically, we want to talk about the A-list. Now, you know what A-listers are, right? We as a culture are obsessed with the A-listers amongst us. They're the, the, the famous and the fabulous. We have magazines, we have websites, we have TV shows devoted to bringing us daily updates on what the A-listers are doing in our world. There's a bit of envy and, 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 and people want to be on the A-list. Well, I, I want to confess something to you today. It may come as a bit of a shock, but I've never really been an A-lister. I know, that's surprising. Except one day in my life. One day. So I was going to a church conference in Montreat, North Carolina, which is like Presbyterian Mecca. It's the Mo Ranch of the East Coast. It is set right outside of Asheville, Western North Carolina, right in the beautiful mountains. It is one of God's special places. It's rumored that God vacations in Montreat. But I was going to Montreat for this church conference, and I had to make a connecting flight through the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. And in Atlanta, I was going from one of the big jets down into one of the little, you know, puddle hopper jets, right? So I had to leave the terminal where the big jets are and walk over the terminal where the little jets were. You know, you're going to have to walk out on the tarmac to get onto the, the plane. And I'm there a couple hours early, so I start reading my book as I'm doing a little people watching. And I notice that the people start to gather for the flight around me. And the one thing that, I, that just stands out in my mind is that these are really good-looking people. I mean, the women were absolutely stunningly gorgeous, like they had just walked off the, the cover of a magazine. And, and now take this in the right way. Even the men were pretty. And some of them had ponytails, and they were fit and tan, and they all had white straight teeth. And I thought, this is different. And so they called the number for the flight. And I got up, and along with me, all the pretty people got up. And we all walked out on the, it's, it's me and the pretty people, and I swear in my head, I'm walking on the tarmac singing, one of these things is not like the others. 
And so we go out and we, we're getting on the plane. And if you've been on these planes, you know they're very small. And there's one seat on each side of the aisle. And there's no carry-on luggage anywhere. It all goes in the nose of the plane. And there's no flight attendants or things. But before the plane took off, they came through and gave us all a flute of champagne. Now, I'd been on these flights before, and I'd never gotten a flute of champagne before. But I thought, all right, this is going to be a good flight. And so we take off, and I start talking to the guy who's across the aisle. His name's Frederick. And we're just chit-chatting. He had never been to North Carolina, and so I was telling him about the mountains and how beautiful North Carolina is and all this. And then after a while, I said, Frederick, I, I just got to ask, is everyone here, are you all like together? Is this a group or is this like a random thing that all these people? And he said, well, yes and no. He said, we are on our way to the championship, the international championship of the ballroom dancers. We are all professional ballroom dancers. And that couple is from Spain and those people are from France and they're from Argentina. And we're all, and we all have to connect through Hartsfield Airport to get to Asheville for the world championship of the ballroom dancing. And so he said, aha. So that's why I'm on the pretty people plane. So we continue to talk and, and have fun. And, and when the plane lands, there's three black stretch limos right on the tarmac for these dancers. And people are getting their luggage and loading on. And Frederick says, hey, Al, come on. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to the sea, uh, uh, Grove Park Inn. I got to go. He says, oh, come on. I said, okay, why not? So <laughs> I get in the limo with these guys, and there's more champagne in the limo. It amazes me that these folks can dance with the amount of champagne they drink. And so we're drinking champagne in the limo, and we're going to the Grove Park Inn, which is this absolutely beautiful, historic uh, uh, inn in uh, Asheville. Looks out over the mountains. It's a beautiful place, and that's where the competition's going to be. And so we get there. I'm figuring, well, I could get a shuttle van from the Grove Park Inn just as easily as I could get a shuttle van at the airport. So we go, and, and we get there, and people are, you know, getting their luggage out. I have no idea who said what to whom. But suddenly, one of the drivers grabs my luggage and puts it back in the trunk of the limo and says, come on, I'll take you to Montreat. And so I jump back in the limo. <laughs> now, you need to understand, very few people show up at church camp in a stretch limo. <laughs> but my friends, for one day, I was George Clooney <laughs> for one day. I was on that A-list. We've got a story today about a young man who's on the A-list of his time who comes up to Jesus. We know he's on the A-list because he checks off all the boxes of the things that were important in that day, many of which are still important today. First of all, he was a man, and that was very important back then. There was more uh, sexism and gender discrimination back then than there is today. And being a man meant you were a step above the women. He was young and he was wealthy. He was obviously well-educated. He kept the Mosaic law. He was a religious person. All the little check marks you would want in your son-in-law, he checked those boxes. He was an A-list kind of guy. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And some scholars say that Jesus was kind of 
you know, giving him the brush off. Some say he was putting him in his place. I say he was trying to give this guy a reminder. When he says to the young man, why do you call me good teacher? Only God is truly good. See, I think what Jesus is really saying is, you think you're a hot shot? You think you're an A-lister? You think you're so smart? Remember, only God is truly good. I think this is Jesus starting to lay the groundwork for what's about to happen. Now, you know, the minute this guy approaches Jesus, the crowd around him has got to be stunned because people like this just didn't hang out with crowds like this. And they certainly didn't chase after traveling itinerant rabbis. So it's amazing this guy is there that day. And secondly, to get dissed by Jesus like this. Suddenly, Jesus has the crowd's attention. And he goes on to say, well, you know, the commandments, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, honor your mother, your father. And the man says, falls right into the trap, says, I've done all that since I was a youth. And you know, Jesus is thinking, yeah, right. Because we all know the truth is no one can keep the law. No one has ever successfully kept the law. John Calvin reminds us that the, the primary purpose of the Mosaic law was to drive us to our knees in repentance, to show us what it would be like if we were somehow capable of living a truly good and righteous and godly life. It would look like this, but no one was ever capable of it. So the only true purpose of the law was to drive us to our knees in repentance and ask for God's forgiveness. So this young man, this arrogant man, comes in and says, oh yeah, I've done that. And Jesus sees right through it. And Jesus says, well, I guess there's only thing, one thing left for you. Give up your spot on the A-list. Give up your spot on the A-list. Well, that proves a little too much for this man. You know, I think we could have seen this coming in the very way he asked the question. The arrogance, the sense of entitlement. He doesn't say, how can I be saved? He doesn't say, how can I go to heaven? How can I be a part of the kingdom? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we all know what inheritance is. It's generally when, uh, when somebody passes away, although not necessarily, there are ways to uh, share your inheritance uh, before you pass away, but generally somebody passes away and, and a parent will pass on their estate, their savings, their property, whatever, children or nieces or nephews or grandchildren. And we all have wills, right? You all have wills uh, that kind of direct these things. But back in the day, there were a lot of rules in the Mosaic law that governed inheritance. And inheritance was serious business. And inheritance was connected with birthright. And birthright is a right or privilege or inheritance you possess because you were born into a particular family or nationality, sometimes dependent upon your birth order within the family. The law prescribed what you would inherit and what you would not inherit. If you're a woman, forget it. You're not inheriting things. If you're the firstborn, you're getting an extra share of the inheritance. And then the pecking order goes down from there. But it's all prescribed in the law. And so 
there was a sense, if you were particularly a firstborn, of entitlement to your inheritance. We have an example of this from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy it says, if a man has two wives and he loves one but not the other, and both bear him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the wife he does not love, when he wills his property to his sons, he must not give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the wife he loves in preference to his actual firstborn, the son of the wife he does not love. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has, the birthright of the eldest. That son is the first sign of his father's strength, and the right of the firstborn belongs to him. I'm telling you, who needs Jerry Springer when you got Deuteronomy, right? The wife or the one you love and the firstborn of the... So, but it's all prescribed. And so when this man comes to Jesus, he has this sense of entitlement. It's as though he's asking, give me what already belongs to me. Give me what I am entitled to. It's as though it is a right to have the inheritance of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. No one is entitled to heaven. No one's entitled to be in the kingdom of God. It is not something you can create, manufacture, or manipulate on your own. That's not the way things work. And the man walks away, we're told, very sad. And the disciples are amazed. How many times did it say? Three times? The disciples were amazed. Why would he do that? And Jesus says how hard it will be for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. To Actually, he says to enter the kingdom of God. And at this, once again, the disciples are amazed because the A-listers, the rich, the, the, the males, the young, the health, these were the people who everyone thought were going to heaven. These are God's favorite people. And if this guy doesn't get in, what hope do any of the rest of us have? Wait a minute. This isn't the way it's supposed to work. This is supposed to be the guy that gets in. How can anybody get in? And Jesus says, friends, you've got to remember what is impossible for people is completely possible for God. Contrast this little encounter with this, this arrogant young man, this A-lister, with the encounter Jesus has just prior to this with the children. Now, you've got to remember in the culture of that day, Children were not beloved and coddled like they are today. Children were uh, seen as an economic unit. Uh, you wanted to have lots of kids because they could produce more labor. Maybe some of you uh, grew up on a farm where you had a large farm. Uh, it was very common uh, in the agrarian economy to have large farm families because you needed the kids to work the farm. And the more kids you had, the more labor you got done, the more work you got done, the wealthier you became. Kids were part of the economic success of the family. They weren't coddled like they are today. Children were valued just slightly more than women. And if it was a male child, it was okay, because soon they would grow up to be a man, and that was a good thing. So children were not brought into the presence of esteemed people. Rabbis, priests, uh, anyone of any official status, you didn't bring children. And so when these children come storming in to Jesus, the disciples do the, the correct, culturally polite thing and say, get these kids out of here. 
You're offending the rabbi. These kids should be, what do we say, seen but not heard, right? Get them out of here. And then to the amazement of the disciples, Jesus says, whoa, whoa. Let the little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. In fact, whoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter in. In other words, there's no adults in the kingdom of God. None whatsoever. The issue here, I believe, is the seduction of self-reliance. You see, it's not a matter of how much or how little you have. It's not a matter of how old or how young you are. It's not a matter of if you are on the A list, the B list, the C list, the D list, whatever list you're on or not on. The issue here is that when we become adults, and in our particular, our, our culture in particular, the more mature you are, it tends to be measured by how self-reliant you are. And the more resources you have at your disposal, the more you are seduced by the concept of self-reliance. That's the problem with wealth. That's the problem with riches, is the thinking that you can do it yourself. You don't have to be accountable or responsible or dependent upon anyone else. And that's not how it works in the kingdom of God. God is not interested in self-reliant people. God is interested in God-dependent people. You see, we are meant to be like little children, not demanding our rights, not demanding our inheritance, not demanding what already belongs to us. We are meant to be children who are totally dependent upon God. We don't deserve squat, and yet we open our arms and raise them to heaven and say, please, Lord, and we receive the free gift you see, what we are not capable of doing for ourselves, we can't get ourselves into heaven. You can't buy membership into the kingdom of God. But God offers it to us as a free gift. Regardless of who we are, who we've been, what we've done or failed to do, regardless of, of what of our, 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 our uh, bank account balance, our net worth, regardless of our, our status in the community. In fact, I think we're going to be a little surprised about who joins us in the kingdom of God. Susan Whiteside was telling me this great story just after the last service. She said she was, um, she was over um, in downtown Austin, and she was going into a building, and she opened the door, and she just was momentarily frightened because this rather large guy who had all sorts of crazy piercings and, and tattoos and, 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 and kind of had a menacing look to him. And she opened the door and she saw in the reflection this guy behind her. And so she stepped to the side, like to open the door for him. And he stepped to walk through and he said to her, thank you, God is good. And she said, all the time. Who knew? Who knew? I think we're going to be surprised who's with us in heaven. But friends, you don't get there by your own effort. 
You don't get there by your own conniving and your schemes and your plans and your dreams. It's not based upon what you've accomplished, achieved, what you, where you've been, who you've been, all that. It's a gift. Friends, all you have to do is open your hearts, open your mind, open your arms, and ask God to plant that seed of faith in your heart, and then watch how that faith blossoms. That's how the kingdom of God works. Friends, maybe you're thinking, well, not me. That doesn't work that way for me. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm too far lost. I'm too far gone. There's too much water under that bridge. Or maybe you're thinking, eh, I'll stick to the A-list. Friends, I want to encourage you. God wants to bless you. God wants to be a part of your life. God wants you to be a part of his life. I invite you to invite the Spirit to receive the gift of faith that you too might be an A-lister in the kingdom of God. Amen.